The following audio message by Dudley Hall is presented by Kerygma Ventures. More information is available at www.kerygmaventures.com. Well, glory. Hey, it's Dudley. Great to be back with you again. Interesting times we're living in. We're right in the middle of the debate season uh, prior to the election coming up. A couple of things I want to mention to you. Uh, one is the uh, resource I'm recommending this month is the uh, the Kingdom Invades Cultures. It really is a study of the book of Acts and how the kingdom of God moved from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to Greece to Rome and ultimately the cultures of the world and what happens when the kingdom of God moves into a culture. We are living in a time when our culture is becoming increasingly unfriendly toward the Christian perspective. And if we do not know how the kingdom affects culture, the culture will basically redefine our message and destroy our community. So that's not the way God designed it, and that's not the nature of his kingdom. So you should get those and uh, listen to them, watch them, whatever. So call the office, uh, go, go online, and get The Kingdom Invades Culture, CDs, video, uh, whatever you want. Don't forget, the father-daughter is coming up in February, and you need to go ahead and register for that uh, if indeed you qualify. If you're neither a father or daughter, then that probably wouldn't work for you. But (laughs) we've been doing this now several years. One of the greatest things we do where fathers and daughters learn how to relate to each other, what how father relates to the destiny of a daughter, what's his role in her life as she moves from a little girl to a grown woman and, and so forth. The age is 15 and up, and there's no limit on the up. Uh, we've had ladies out 50 years old or more relating to their dads. If you do not have your biological dad, you can come with a father figure, obviously. Uh, we we know one guy who has basically adopted a whole group of ladies that through the years he's brought out to this. So you need to, to go ahead and get registered. Otherwise, you'll put something on your schedule and not come. Lots of other things going on that uh, we want you to be uh, aware of. And, and so find out by going to the website, kerygmaventures.com. Uh, we've been having a fun time. I just finished a men's retreat out at the ranch had men from around the country coming in, and it was a, it was a wonderful time. It, it always is when men get together and get honest with each other, honest with God, and, and, and do what men do, which usually involves telling some stories and shooting something, <laughs> but nothing alive. Okay, this this month I want to talk to you about about the fact that God has voted. That, that's the title. We're, as I said earlier, we're in the middle of the election season uh, as we move toward uh, November here in the United States. And people are confused. Uh, it seems like a quagmire of, of stuff. Just a lot of people saying, how, how, what should we do? I think it's common knowledge that the two candidates that have emerged uh, representing both the Republican and Democratic parties, uh, neither of them are uh, the favorite candidates of a lot of the people, though they, they won their primaries. And the debates are not 
some are saying that it's embar- they feel embarrassed to watch it. It's, it's, it's like an uncomfortable humor. And some, some uh, are, are concerned that we are that we are being entertained by by stuff that, that makes us so uncomfortable. And well, as you can tell, as I'm trying to describe it, it's it's a conundrum. It's a, it's it's hard to figure out what what to do here as both citizens of the kingdom of God and citizens of the United States and how we are to relate to that. What I want us to do today is look at a, a psalm. It's a psalm that's quoted uh, 17 times in the New Testament. So the, the New Testament writers look back to this as a key passage of the New Testament to describe the, the narrative of the Bible, which is the kingdom of, of God. It's God establishing his kingdom on earth. This is Psalms 2, a uh, Psalm 2, and uh, found in the book of Psalms. And so let's read it together. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I've set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You're my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Well, when people ask who you're voting for, you need to ask the question of who is God voting for? Well, I don't, uh, I don't know that he's picking between Republican and Democrat or Independent, but God has voted. He has chosen who is going to be the ruler over this earth. And he has established his king on his mountain, over the mountain that rules over everything, and ultimately everything will bow to him. In the meantime, however, we are to live as people under that kingdom and under that king. The nations, the cultures, the societies that ignore, reject, demote God as the sovereign over all things are doomed to being broken. They are doomed to destruction. But let's talk a little bit about the raging of the nations. And uh, we could talk about terrorism. We could talk about all the the wars that are, are going on, the, the, the currency wars, as well as the physical wars and 
the cultural wars and even the internal wars in our own nation as uh, uh, as racism is being incited again and so there's all there are all kind of raging going on and the scripture says that God looks at it and laughs he laughs at the folly the folly of men acting like gods trying to determine life, trying to to make life on this earth work, while at the same time disregarding his order and ignoring him as the king, the one to be worshipped. Laughing at men and women who think that the reason they're here is to be in charge, and they think that they have the final word, that the ultimate authority comes from man ignorant of real reality. And I know that's a redundant term, but ignorant of reality as defined by God. And of course, if you're going to ignore God, you're going to ignore his definition of reality. But I think it's interesting to go to the New Testament and to look at Paul's inspired word in Ephesians uh, chapter 2 when he describes what's going on. Listen, Listen to what he says. And you were dead in trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Okay, so so Paul describes reality like this, that we as human beings are not here alone. There's, there's another world surrounding us. It is the, it is the spirit world and that until one comes into the liberation provided for by God through Jesus Christ, we all walk according to the course of this world. We we're programmed. We have we uh, we we live by the dictates of the pressures of the spirit of disobedience, and. So, so God looks at us and, and we're like puppets on a string in a sense, ignorant of reality. And we, we're carrying out the agenda of the invisible master called sin, disobedience, rebellion, hostility. There's a sense in which being alienated from God in our frustration, we, we're lashing out at everything, trying to survive and trying to get our piece of the pie. And the sad fact is, that's laughable, is that so many of us won't even admit that there's a war going on. We, we believe that we are, we are finally ourselves it, you know, whatever man decides, that's it. Whatever you can see and, t- and touch and smell, the, that's reality. That's all of reality. That's the end of reality. There's no more to it than our own ideas and our concepts and whatever man can come up with. And yet the the scripture makes it very clear that there's a war going on, that there's powers and principalities. Listen to what Paul says again in his letter to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, 
and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul is saying to us, we don't fight flesh and blood. That's not just the battle there. We don't just fight people. Uh, yeah, people have ideas and people do terrible things, and uh, but, but there's something going on behind that. And if you don't even believe in that world, if you don't even think that that world exists, then you you certainly are being manipulated like a puppet on a string, thinking that you're in charge and that man's opinion is the final opinion. So, so God looks at that and it's amusing to him. It doesn't make him happy, but it, it it's folly of men trying to be God by knowing good and evil and having no idea that there's power, there's powers behind that evil. So what does the, the passage tell us? It's a, it's a psalm that has so many implications. So it tells us that, that God has looked at the whole thing and he's established his king. He's voted. He's chosen. And there, there's one who rules. He rules over all. He rules over all because God sent his son into the earth and redeemed the world. He, he bought it out of, brought it out of slavery by buying through, the, through his own blood everything that sin had affected and infected. And so how did God install his king? Well, his, his son came and purchased everything that, as, as I said, sin had marked. So it's the son of God that is the king. The son, as you know, the son uh, motif goes all the way through scripture. God made Adam his son. He was to share life with the father and, and enjoy life on the earth and to partner with God. And, and it was father and son in business together. So Adam and Eve were sons of God, and yet they uh, they listened to the voice of the serpent, and when they did, they were alienated, became orphans, and worse, rebels. Uh, and so this was the this was the fate of mankind. But but God was not was not through. So he makes a covenant with Abraham, and then Abraham's descendants wind up in Egypt, and God calls these descendants out of Egypt and calls them his son and establishes a relationship with them through the old covenant with Moses. And he calls uh, Israel his son and he treated Israel as a son. And Israel was to be a partner with him, sharing with him in the inheritance. And yet Israel, like Adam, disobeyed and went after the gods of other nations. And so finally God sent uh, another son the son was the the begotten son the the only begotten son the eternal son the the son of the trinity he he came and came as a man on the earth and lived as a man as adam fa- faced the battles against satan that adam had faced and israel had faced and won them all and through his death on the cross he defeated the power of sin he fulfilled the law he was raised from the grave, so he defeated death. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he rules now over all that his blood purchased. So God has established his son. Uh, 
And as the ruler, the son rules and determines what the narrative is from which we live. We are being bombarded today with different people trying to promote their narrative. If you can create your particular narrative, then then people will they'll take the facts and make them fit it. You know, every good lawyer knows that if you can paint a, narr- a narrative to a story to the jury, then then the jury will take the facts and make them fit into the narrative in a way that that the the particular lawyer wants. Well, there's the narrative that's being promoted in uh, in the world that in, in all the nations that are controlled by the spirit of disobedience, that man is the epitome of authority and power and intelligence, and that uh, man's word basically rules and reigns. God's order is seen as suppressive and oppressive. And uh, mankind is wanting to throw off the restraints. That's covered there in Psalm 2. Throw off the restraints. And in the uh, language of Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, of France, who helped do the whole French Revolution, we need to get rid of societal restraints because man in his essence is a noble savage. And it, it it's social constructs that have cause the problem, and we need to throw all of those off. Well, to some degree or another, every godless nation, every nation that is not letting God be the center of it, is doing the same thing, throwing the restraints off. We don't, we don't like sexual laws. We don't like uh, restrictive laws. We don't, we don't want anything to keep us from doing what we want to do when we want to do it. And we want everybody to agree with us. And so this whole thing about tolerance is such a, certainly God laughs. I mean, people screaming about being tolerant, but what they mean by being tolerant is you have to agree with my definition. Otherwise you're a bigot and a racist, a misogynist, and all the other words that I can use that that's not very tolerant. So we've redefined tolerant and we are trying to create a narrative that says, that comes from, well, we all evolved from some piece of particle, and therefore we really have no true nature. Therefore, we really don't have uh, the dignity uh, of having God-given rights. Uh, Rights are given by government. And therefore, we get to choose who has rights and not rights. And since uh, babies can't vote and they, uh, they, they need some help, uh, babies in the womb, then we can kill those without any repercussions. And uh, it, it will also work for others, old people and, and disabled or whatever, eventually, because the narrative will, will create the application and will create the culture. So we, we had a culture at one time built on the narrative of that reflected the narrative of Scripture. It was a it was about believing that we were a people created by God with inalienable rights, and that we could actually, through our own virtuous life, create laws that would be for the benefit of 
of all and fairness for all. You know, we had a narrative that uh, seemed to work, but it was based on the narrative of the sun, S-O-N, sun. When that narrative changes to uh, an evolutionary, naturalistic, secularist narrative, then then the culture changes. And so we, we have a culture where it's, it's okay to lie if it gets the job done. It doesn't matter. Uh, it, uh, whatever works uh, is good, even though there's going to be unintended consequences. So uh, when the sun rules, the S-O-N sun, when the sun rules, then his narrative is the dominating narrative. His narrative determines how we live. If there is a God who is a loving God and a sovereign God who created us to worship him and uh, to honor the Son and to live as his partners on earth, displaying his glory, carrying out his will. If if there is a God like that and he is the one who created and, and he is the one who gave us this earth and gave us a privilege of living here, then, then it has implications about how we live, how we govern. And uh, uh, we're not going to get the, the culture back until we get that narrative back. And, and so when Jesus rules, that's the narrative. That's why Jesus could say without any hint of exclusion, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Well, he said, well, I, I don't like that. that I, I want to go th- through some other way. And that, that's, well, uh, he is the only one who's qualified. And he is saying anyone can. You, you don't have to be a specific color or have a, have a particular financial backing. You don't have to have any intellectual level. Uh, anyone can come through me. That, that makes it universally uh, a universal invitation to anyone who's willing to trust Jesus as the Lord, as the ruler. So he's established his king, and those who those who choose not to vote for with him, with God, are voting against him. And there's no there are no third party candidates. You you either vote with God or you are voting against him. Either Jesus is the king or you are, and you can then choose whatever slave master you want. You can choose government or you can choose sin or you can choose independence or you can choose personal rebellion or you can choose whatever, but you've chosen against God. Now, when the scripture says, when Psalm 2 says that he is the, he is the king and he will break the nations asunder. Uh, as we as we study the story of the Bible, how does God judge nations? Well, essentially, he gives them what they want. When, the, when Israel, God's people of the Old Testament, would, uh, would go after other nations, go after the gods of other nations, and look to other nations for their security or their supply or their provision— and God would say, trust me. And they say they would basically say, no, we're going to go after these other things. Then he would basically just let them go. Abraham's descendants went to Egypt to get food, and Egypt enslaved them. When During the time of the judges, Israel would go after some of the Philistine 
nations and the Philistine gods, uh, they would wind up enslaving them. Uh, essentially, uh, they went into slavery to Assyria and then to Babylonian uh, to the Babylonians uh, because they demanded it. They they demanded of God, we don't want to follow your order. We don't want to trust you solely. We we want to trust someone else. And basically God says, go ahead. Well, we have that fully explained to us in the New Testament in Romans chapter one, where it says, when they knew God, they chose not to honor him as God or to give thanks. So he gave them over to what they wanted. He gave them over to lustful thinking, to perverted thinking, uh, ultimately to deceptive and delusional thinking. And uh, until finally they f they fall apart. So when when we choose not to vote with God, we are voting against God. And what we have to look forward to in that case is we have uh, we will get what we want. And sadly, that is already happening in in this particular nation. Uh, people periodically put out articles and blogs and sermons and so forth, talking about how God is going to judge us with, you know, nuclear war or whatever. Uh, you know, nu nuclear war may come and all that, but I'm telling you, the great judgment is is not that. The great judgment is that you get what you want. You get what you demand. You, you get to live under the slavery of uh, sexual perversion, of uh, depression, of addic the addiction to things you can't break, of selfishness, bitterness, hatred, all of all of the things that we demand because we reject the order of God, we we live there and, and we fall apart. So, so so what does it mean to to vote with God? It it means that we establish Jesus as the King on our hill as well. He already is ruling over things. And you can be sure that in the big scheme of things, uh, everything is going to bow before him because he created all things and things only work when they, when they work according to his order. And so everything that works contrary to that order will eventually dissolve, fall apart, burn up, be ruined. So, there is no future in anything that's not ruled by by the creator, by the ruler, by the Lord. So you want to vote with God? Uh, establish Jesus at, on, on your holy hill. Establish him as Lord. Accept his narrative as the true one. You say, what's his narrative now? Well, it's found in the Bible. It's a wonderful narrative that... that uh, that God is a loving God who created out of love people that he could share his life with. He, he loved them enough to give them a choice. They chose against him, and they became rebels and aliens. But he loved them enough that he redeemed them through the sending of his son. Then he, he sent another Adam. He himself came to bear the sins of, of, of mankind. God himself in the person of his son came and became sin for us, he who knew no sin, so that in him we could have his righteousness. He, he, he lived up to the law. He lived a righteous life. He paid the debt of breaking the law, the sin of breaking the law. 
he defeated death and he ascended the right hand of the Father. Then he sent his spirit, the same spirit that raised him from the dead. He he sent to live inside of believers so that they could again be what God had created Adam to be. People who walk with God daily, 24-7, who worship him, honor him, acknowledge him, live as his sons and servants and representatives on the earth. That's the story. And, and uh, they not only share life now, but but even death cannot separate them from that life. That at death, though their bodies will decay, they will live forever in the presence of God with the same kind of body Jesus had when he was resurrected from the from the grave. That's the story. It, it's a story that, that God is... Uh, sovereign and good and that man needs a savior and that Jesus is the only qualified one to uh, to save. He's the only righteous one. He's the only person who ever gave his life. He's the only person who gave his life that God accepted that sacrifice as final and, and as sufficient. And we know he did because he raised him from the grave. Jesus is the one who made a new covenant Many people today feel like if you, you know, if, if you relate to God and you believe in God and you, you, you know, you're, you're God's pe- person, you've trusted the Lord, you've been baptized and you, and you're good and you read your Bible and you pray and you go to church and whatever, uh, that life will be better if you uh, avoid the, the bad sins and, and do good things. Uh, life will be better like that. And one day you'll die and you'll get to go to heaven and that's it. Well, there's a whole lot more to what Jesus has done than that. The new covenant is so different from the old. In the old, God said, if you obey, you you get blessed. In the new, Jesus came and he obeyed and we get blessed because of his obedience. So the old covenant was God made a covenant with his people and in the new covenant, God, the father made a covenant with his son. And because he made a covenant with his son, those of us who trust the son get the benefits. That's the new covenant. And that's establishing uh, Jesus as the king of your life. He, he personally is king. His narrative is your narrative. His past is your past. His future is your future. His present is your present. And because he shares his life with you, he guides you in your decisions, even your decisions about who you vote for in a political election. But he also guides your decisions and what you vote for every day of your life, how you vote to spend your time, how you vote to treat your neighbor, how you vote to handle your money, how how you vote to relate to those who are different from you. Uh, when God is voted and you vote with him, it affects your life. It, it changes your life. It transforms your life. You're living in a culture that's trying to conform you to its own narrative and reduce you to, uh, to, to its evaluation of mankind. God is not trying to conform you. He's trying to transform you transform you from an alienated, uh, isolated, independent, scared, confused, lost person to one who is a, who lives as a son of God on the earth. So uh, I encourage you to, to vote with him.
God has voted, and I would encourage you to agree. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for being in charge. And when we live in a world that seems so topsy-turvy and so insecure, and we're really not sure what's going to happen from one day to the next, it's so good to know that in your kingdom, in ultimate reality, the issue has been settled. That there is one on the throne, and he is your son. And that he's a son who gave his life for us. So he's a loving son. He's a son who conquered death, so he's a powerful son. And so what a joy to have a king like that. We we can worship him. We can honor him. We can do, we can kiss him. Uh, and he can be, he is the focus of our lives. He, he is not, uh, he's not just one of the gods that we put on the shelf. He is the only God and everything else is subservient to him. So we exalt you, Lord Jesus, as our King. We acknowledge with the father that you are our Lord that you rule, that your blood purchased us, and that our greatest honor is to worship you. And that's what we do today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Dudley Hall from Kerygma Ventures. Additional copies of this resource, as well as a wide range of discipleship materials, is available from our website. You may make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Dudley Hall or Kerygma Ventures, please visit us online at www.kerygmaventures.com. That's K-E-R-Y-G-M-A-V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S dot com.